We have a series of messages in the book of Psalms this summer. Great time to bring a friend. Great time. So think about that. Someone you might want to invite. Today especially is one of those kind of days. We call this series Honest to God because uh, the psalmist, when he writes, is just being dirt honest, raw honest about how he feels, about his emotions, about his attitudes, about his feelings, about God, about people, about himself. And it really, really helps us work through issues in our life, starting with this major issue of honesty, intellectual honesty, emotional honesty, relational honesty, moral honesty. I don't know if you understand honesty, but... Honesty is supposed to start in your soul. If you haven't gone honest with God, you're not going to probably be that honest with people or even yourself. But when someone gets honest in their soul, well, now it leaks through and comes through every area of their life, their thought life, their intelligence, their intellectual life, their emotional life, their attitudes, their words, everything. When you get honest to God in your soul... And this whole series in the book of Psalms is really about that. And I don't know how much time you've spent in the book of Psalms, but I would encourage you to read it. Maybe this summer's a good time while we're preaching through it. It's 150 chapters. There's a lot in there. And you'll be surprised at some of the things he says in there and be almost probably shocked. Like, he said that to God? Yeah. He's being honest. If you haven't gotten there yet, maybe you're not that honest with yourself. Maybe you can't deal with it kind of thing, you know? Maybe you're not that honest even with with God, let alone other people. Well, today's no exception. This passage in Psalm 23 is a perfect example of honesty with God. And um, what I'd like to do is, before we even look at it, we're going to read it in just a second, is I'd like to pray with you about it. So would you bow your head and let's pray. Lord, we need your help to be able to understand ourself, you, our life, our relationships, our church, our country, the world. And it's going to take a great deal of honesty on our part to admit our sin, our impatience, our lusts, our pride. And I pray that today for those sitting here they'll be able to do that. They'll be able to get to the place where they're honest to God about literally everything in their life. And Lord, I know only you can push us there. Only you can bring us there. Only you can lead us there. So I'm asking you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Psalm 23. And if you don't, just follow along on the screen or maybe even close your eyes because this in this psalm, The psalmist is trying to talk about you and the Lord. No, no, no. Not you and the church. Not you and your thoughts about God. Not you and your feelings about God. You and God. Because you and him were made for each other. And here's what he's trying to use to help us understand that. He says, the Lord is our shepherd, like we're sheep, and he's the shepherd. So imagine a mountainside with green pastures, and here's the sheep on the side with the shepherd, and here's how it goes. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely it is true that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know if you've noticed there, but the emphasis seems to be starting with he and what we need that he has, and then it switches to I in verse 4, and then he goes to talking about you in verse in the verses 4 and 5, and then finally in verse 6 he says, me. The whole sermon, the whole passage is about you and the Lord. Like I said, so I want you to put your mind in, in that position. This psalm, this sermon is about you and the Lord. Like I said, not you in church, not you and your spouse, not you and what you even think or feel. It's about you and the Lord. And I want you to try and put that in your mind as we look through this thing, because there's a, there's a way of knowing this that's beyond um, just comprehending the words. Um, I don't know, maybe there's people here like me. I remember seeing this psalm first when I was in Sunday school, and I'm just a little guy, and they're, they're having us memorize parts of it, or even trying to memorize the whole thing. I remember my neighbor friend and I, we would try and memorize scriptures because you got certain things in Sunday school. If you did it, you get a treat or whatever. So we memorized it, you know? But it wasn't, when I became a Christian, when I was 18, it started to be real to me, and I began to understand it. But honest to God, that's just about right, I didn't really get it until I was 40. And the doctor told me, you have the Epstein-Barr virus active in your blood. Oh, most people have it in their blood. But in your blood, it's in charge. It's taken over. And that's how I felt. I was deathly sick. They had me on steroids and antibiotics and all stuff, and it didn't work. Nothing was working. And my doctor, she used to go here, Prima Jacob, Prima goes, sorry, Marty, nothing I can give you. You don't have a pill or something I can take? No. Well, how am I going to get better? Rest. I've been resting for weeks. I don't know if you know, but I didn't come to this church then for nine months. I was just turning 40. And I was sicker than I've ever been. I didn't know if I could be pastor of a church. I didn't know if I could work a regular job. I couldn't put two thoughts together. I couldn't rest well. I couldn't be awake well. I couldn't do anything well. I'd have anxiety attacks. I'd have all kinds of different things going through my head. It was like, my brain's going like this, and my body goes, rest, rest, rest. And it's like, you just messed up, man. You just don't know what to do, you know? So they keep telling you rest or try over-the-counter vitamin C's or whatever, you know, take some, eat vegetables. <laughs> you know, I had to change my diet. I had to change everything. Trying, and it actually took me years to get better. And it was during that time that this psalm began to be my relationship with God. I was in the shadow of the valley of death. I felt like that because I didn't know if I could be a husband. I didn't know if I could be a, a parent to my children. I didn't know if I could be a pastor of a church. But for nine months, you guys kept paying me. 
And thank God, by his mercy and his grace, I began to understand a new way to live, a new way of understanding, a new way of life, a new way of honesty between me and the Lord. And it was right here in Psalm 23 that it really began. You know what? There were some nights I just couldn't go to sleep. Like I said, your brain's going like this, and your body's saying, please stop, please just rest, rest, and you cannot. So you're laying there in bed sometimes for hours, and what I learned was to take Psalm 23 and run it through my mind. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I mean, every which way you could say it, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Like, and, and then keep going through the psalm like that. And finally, I'd go to sleep. Wake up, still tired, but wake up, you know. And now I'm going to live the Lord is my shepherd through the day. And that's the only way I made it. And the only reason I'm here now. This psalm is key. What's it about? It's about you and the Lord. And like I said in what's called the big idea of the sermon, you and the Lord were meant for each other. Let's start the psalm. Look at what it says at the very beginning. What does he start out with? The Lord is my shepherd. And probably the first question you have is, why? (laughs) I can take care of myself. I'm doing pretty good. You know, look what I've done. Look at my education. Look all I've accomplished. Look what I got. The Lord is my shepherd? (laughs) Thanks, don't really need it. Like, where does he get off saying he has the right to be my shepherd? Well, let me give you six reasons why. There's a whole bunch more. But let me summarize it with just six. What would you say would be the number one reason the Lord has the right to be your shepherd? This is an easy one. There you go. He made you. You wouldn't breathe air. You wouldn't be here. You wouldn't have anything to think about because you wouldn't have a brain. You wouldn't have a stomach. You wouldn't have arms. You wouldn't have eyes. You'd have nothing if he didn't make you. Even Psalm 139 says he knit you together in your mother's womb. Even specifically he made you. Not just generally he made human beings. Even specifically, Psalm 139 says, so you're specifically made by God, for God. Number one reason he has the right to be your shepherd. Number two reason would be what? He redeemed you. That's the whole gospel story. That we all like sheep have gone astray, Psalm, Isaiah 53, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. On Jesus, our sins were born so that we could come back to God who we were originally made for. So number one reason is he made you. Number two reason is he saved you. You'd be lost. You'd be eternally away from him. You'd have no hope in a hopeless life, in a hopeless existence if it wasn't for your shepherd trying to get you back to himself by even sacrificing him. That's why he's called the sacrificial lamb on the cross, to save the flock. Third reason is a long one. I'll read it to you. The Bible tells us a whole bunch of reasons he has a right to be your shepherd. Well, he prays for you. It says he intercedes for you for all the time, continuously. He protects you from all kinds of harm. He calls to you. The Bible's full of all kinds of callings God makes to us. That's we'd never come to Christ if he didn't call us. We, he answers our prayers. He comforts us. He teaches us. He guides us by the Holy Spirit, and he's coming again to take you to himself. He's got the right to be your shepherd because he's got you from the beginning to the end. He's got you. Another reason he has the right, the fourth reason he has the right to be your shepherd, is he's the one and only person to ever exist that's been both 
a shepherd and a sheep. Think about it. Jesus became a person. God became a person in the form of Jesus Christ. He was a sheep. Oh, I don't do what I want. I do whatever the Father wills. You're, you're a sheep. Yeah. But you're also the shepherd, the good shepherd. Yeah. Look at John chapter 10. It talks all about him being the good shepherd. So that's the fourth reason. What's the fifth reason? You won't like this one. Sheep are really dumb. They really are. I did a little research for this sermon, you know, and you find out about sheep. In fact, I did a lot of research you'll find out about today. Sheep are really, they just are. They're just stupid. They do stupid things. They, they follow each other around, even if you're going the wrong way. There was one shepherd I read about. He, he lost some of his flock one day. You know what happened? The lead shepherd, female, walked off a cliff, and the other ones just go right behind her. Boom, oh, off the mountain. Like, this is, they're so dumb. He says, they have to have a shepherd. Someone was telling me last night, they said, yeah, there, there was this video they were watching, and this jet comes by. This is out in, you know, um, the Middle East. And the sheep go scattering when this jet comes by. It's a wartime area. A jet came by, and it scared sheep. Sheep were going off the cliff. Sheep were dying all over. He says, because they didn't have a shepherd. The, she- the same jet went over another group of sheep that had a shepherd. He kept them all safe. So why do you need a shepherd? Because sheep are dumb. They'll do stupid things. They're uneasily trained. It's very hard to train a sheep. And then the next reason, number, this, would be the, this would be number six, wouldn't it? Number five reason, yeah, is they're dumb. And number six reason is sheep can't protect themselves. They don't have big jaws. They don't have teeth that, that could hurt anybody. They don't have claws on their hooves. They have no claws. They can't run very fast, especially when they're full of wool. And, and they can't see too good, and they can't hear too good. Good grief, they're not even camouflaged. Like, they got nothing. <laughs> they're a sitting duck for a wolf or something because they got nothing. If they don't have a shepherd, they're done. That's it. So why does the Lord have the right to start out and say, well, the Lord is your shepherd? Yeah, I guess so. I got nothing else. And that's what he's trying to point out by using this analogy. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And he goes on to say, I shall not want, but... You need to understand that you and me as human beings can't do any better than having the Lord as our shepherd. If I said this sermon's about you and the Lord, first step you need to understand is, that's as good as it gets, folks. For any human on the planet Earth, as good as it gets is that when you recognize you're just a dumb little sheep and he is the shepherd. It's as good as it gets to have the Lord as your shepherd is as good as it gets no matter what religion, no matter what tag you want to put on it. It gets no better than when you humbly recognize, well, I'm just a sheep. He's the actual shepherd. He's the one that knows what he's doing. He's the one that can lead me and guide me. That's as good as it gets. So then he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That is key right there. You see, because when you've been around sheep that do want, it's kind of a pathetic thing. 
I was reading this week, and I've seen this before. If you've ever been to different farms, there are some farmers that are rather lazy. There are some farmers that are better farmers and some farmers that aren't as good of farmers. And you can tell by looking at their livestock, and you can tell look, looking at their sheep, and you can kind of tell because the sheep don't have the nicest wool, or it's, the pen is all full of mud and messy, or it stinks and it smells, or they have a disease, or they have some flies all over them. It's like... And you could just almost picture the sheep looking through the fence at the good farmer's sheep who are well-fed, they're, they're not skinny, they don't have a disease, they're living nice and clean, and be like, oh, man, I wish I was on that side, you know. There are good shepherds, and there are bad shepherds. Listen to me now. If you look at your life and you go, you know, it's kind of, my life kind of stinks, hey, check out your shepherd. Maybe you got the wrong shepherd. Or you're trying to follow your own lead. You're not capable. I don't care how smart you are. You don't have the intelligence. You just don't have it. You can't predict the future. You don't know what's going to happen next. But the shepherd does. So if your life kind of stinks, your marriage is falling apart, you feel like things aren't working out, the job's not so great, you aren't really very happy, check out your shepherd. Maybe that's why. Why do you have such a life of want, a want, and a want? Well, you got the wrong shepherd. Or according to this, if the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. You come to the place of being satisfied, fulfilled, understanding. Yeah. Ask yourself, who's your shepherd? If you're full of want. He says this, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. In some of my research, I found out sheep don't like to drink from fast-moving rivers. They won't even go close. They get, they're too nervous of an animal. And so it has to be slow. At least the river's got to find a place where there's a pond or it's slowing down. You have to have some calm water. But when he makes me lie down by green pastures, I've also found out in my reading that there's four necessary things a sheep needs to be free of to lay down. Because sheep won't naturally lay down. It's not like a cow. They're too timid. They're too shy. They're too nervous. And what are they nervous about? Number one, they have to be relieved of, of all fear. The fear of attack. <laughs> like I said, they're setting ducks, and I guess you start to live like that. You realize anything could get me here. I'm kind of vulnerable. I read about one shepherd said, good grief, the flock can get anxious if a jackrabbit runs by. Like, oh, what's going on? You know, like, they get all shook up easily with a dog, with, with a barking dog, with something that happens. Like I said, a plane flying over. Or, so first thing they have to be free of is fear. The second thing to make them lay down. Notice he says that, I make them lay down. The shepherd's got to make an environment they can lay down in. Number one, get rid of fear. Number two, you've got to get rid of the friction. Sheep tend to have friction with each other, especially during mating season, where the rams are butting each other and they're pushing people around. He says the whole herd can get all messed up if there's fighting among the sheep. Of, you know, uh, he said, chickens have a pecking order, they call it. Remember that pecking order? Who's the head rooster kind of thing in the pen? He says sheep have a budding order. Sounds funny, but they're, they're butting each other. So who's the toughest kind of thing? It's the same thing. Got to get rid of that or they're not going to lay down. He says, the third thing you've got to get rid of and they have to be free of is flies. Flies are a major irritant, and we're going to talk about this later, but they're a major irritant to sheep. 
And if you've been around farming much, yeah, you're going to deal with flies and parasites and stuff, but sometimes a fly can get up into the nostrils of a um, sheep. This is, happens, I guess, quite often, so they have a way of dealing with it. I'll tell you in a minute, but they actually lay eggs up in the nostrils of the sheep. Gross. I'm going to gross you out here. And the sheep gets an infection or it gets up in there and he can feel the tickling. Can you imagine tickling in your side? So he starts butting his head up against the fence post or against each other. He says, well, now the whole flock is all messed up. And run, I can't get him to lay down because a couple of them have flies in their nose. Or the fourth one. They have to be free of hunger. Well fed. He said the only way you can get sheep to lay down is if those four requirements are met. They're not afraid of anything. There's no friction among them. They've dealt with the fly issue. Somehow the shepherd's gotten the flies away or taken to a place where there aren't any. And then finally, they've got to be fat, ready to... He says, then finally they'll lay down. He says, because sheep don't do that. They don't rest easily. Is that kind of like us or what? We don't rest easily. We've got to get rid of some of these things. And the only one that can help us do that is a shepherd. The reason you can't seem to rest or lay down might be because, again, check out your shepherd. Do you have a good shepherd or are you worried about what's going to get to you next? What's going to, when's the next foot dropping? You know, kind of a thing. Well, you aren't, aren't free of fear, are you? Or the flies, the things bothering you. Lastly, in this verse, in this section, look what he says next. He restores my soul. He leads me, verse 3. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He restores my soul. I was reading in here, there's a thing called a shepherd looks at Psalm 23. The shepherd's name is Phil Keller. I often read to you uh, from a guy named Timothy Keller. Well, this is Phil Keller, different guy. He wrote a book about shepherding because he was a shepherd. And he says one of the things shepherds look for is a sheep that's cast. Have you ever heard of cast? C-A-S-T. Well, that means the sheep who might be full of wool because it hasn't been sheared yet, might not be, might just be a fat sheep. He says, but literally, they can get in a place when they finally do lay down. That <laughs> what a pathetic animal. He says, they'll fall on their back and they can't get up. And it, he says, they're laying there on the ground. He says, seriously, seriously, every morning, a good shepherd walks around, looks at the flock, and makes sure none of the sheep are cast. Because if they're cast, they're going to die. They really are. He says, and the blood starts running out of their legs, and they're sitting there running and going nowhere. And they can't get tipped over to get back up. So you have to, as a good shepherd, get down, turn them over, he says, literally, you start massaging their legs, trying to get that blood going back in circulation again so they can walk. And he says, if you don't have a shepherd there to do that, the flock moves on, they lay there like this, <laughs> and a wolf or whatever predator comes and kills them. Do you feel like that in your life? Well, I'm, I'm not getting anywhere. I just go, I'm, I'm going real fast. I'm, get, I'm doing a lot. I'm not going anywhere. Could it be you need a shepherd to come restore your soul, put you back on your feet again? I'm, I'm begging you this morning. I'm begging you this morning. You've been running. You've been running real fast. You're doing a lot of stuff. 
but you know your life is meaningless. You're going nowhere, and you need the Lord to tip you up. You need to spend some time with the Lord. You need to be with Him. He's got to restore you. It's your only hope, or you're going to keep flailing and going nowhere. I wonder how, how many years some people do that, running hard and going nowhere, like a cast sheep way off the path of righteousness as he said for his name's sake he wants to put you back on the path years ago I had a friend his name is Scott I might have told you some about Scott before he was a really neat guy oldest in his family he had like a whole bunch of sisters and a little brother and um, he was very involved with me in the Jesus movement he was probably four years younger than me and he was just the neatest kid growing in the Lord found the Lord was, was seeking after the Lord. He was a faithful worker. He worked with me in the painting business I was in for a while. Just, just a great guy. And I remember moving away to go to seminary with Lori. I graduated from college, and now we're moving down to Dallas, Texas. See you, Scott, you know. And he goes on to some more school to get his master's degree, uh, finish his bachelor's, get his master's, fell in love with this girl, actually got her pregnant, got married to her, and had kids. And I never heard from Scott because Scott got off the path of righteousness. He stopped following the shepherd, and he left his wife and three kids. Had another woman he was involved with. And after 13 years, Scott decided, I'm not going anywhere. And he came back to the Lord, back to the path of righteousness and began communicating with his ex-wife, who never did remarry. And after 13 years, he remarried her again. Isn't that beautiful? And his kids were overjoyed that the family's back together. He was back on the path of righteousness. He had gotten off. I can't help but think there are people in this room right now. You are like Scott. And you're off the path of righteousness, and you know it, honest to God. And it's time. This morning's your time. I'm calling you out. God's calling you out. Get back on the path of righteousness. Come back to the Lord, please. It's your only hope. You're just like a cast sheep running around, and you know it. You know you're going nowhere, except probably into more pain and threat and difficulty. I mean, Scott was going down to see. So later on, Scott got a hold of me, and I've visited him and his wife. It's beautiful. Well, it's a beautiful story. As painful as it is that he was gone for 13 years, he came back to the Lord. You can too. Secondly, let's move quickly through point two. It's, he's telling us how we need the Lord. Now in verse, verses 4 through 6, he tells us, well, you can have him. You can have the Lord be, lead you be your shepherd. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Sheep are most often raised, especially in the United States, in the western part of the United States, in the mountains. And um, what the sheep do, I remember uh, Phil Keller was that I was reading was saying, oh, I read verse 4 and I realized, oh, I know what he's doing here. He, he, he's taking the sheep up to their summer range. The summer range is up in the mountains. After the snow's cleared and everything, everything just turns lush green. And he says, so what you got to do is you want to get your whole herd up to get all that pasture up there. 
He says, so you're taking the guys up there, your, your whole flock, but he says, to get up there, you've got to go through some valleys, because if you have mountains, you also have what? Valleys, <laughs> you know? He says, so you go through the valley of the shadow of death, and the best thing you want for the sheep is stay close to me, because there's predators around. There's things that could happen. There's rock slides. There's stuff, so stay close, and he's going to guide the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death up to the green pastures. And he says, in fact, that's what verse 5 means. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. The cup, my cup overflows. He's saying, that's, that's what we call those things up there. We call them tabletops. He says, we're going up to the plateau where all the green grass is. And he says, actually, us sheep herders go up there first, often with our guns, make sure there's no predators or we kill the ones that are there. We take the water. We clean out the water of all the leaves and stuff so the water's fresh and not with parasites. And he says, then we take them through the valley of the shadow of death. And we take them up there. The valley of the shadow of death, in, 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 you know, taking it out of the sheep imagery and putting it in a realm, would be what? What would that be? Testing. You're going to go through some tests. You know, like Job went through a test. Like Abraham went through a test. Like Joseph went through a test. Like Moses went through. I mean, how many, even Jesus Christ himself, Matthew chapter 4, had to be te- tempted and tested in the wilderness by the devil himself, Right? Why would you think you're never going to have to go through the valley of the shadow of death? Of course you will. Jesus Christ himself had to. Of course you will. So the guy's saying, here, you can do it. No fears. You can do this. Just stay close to the shepherd. That's how you get through the valley of the shadow of death, whether it's the death of a loved one, your daughter's on drugs, Something horrible's happened at work. They just told you you had cancer. You're going through the shadow of death, the valley. But if you stay close to the shepherd, you're going to be fine. And that's what this shepherd writing about. He says, yeah, the sheep just stay with me. Follow me. We'll be fine. It's when I got some stupid sheep wandering off, or I've got to go chase it and leave the flock. Well, now we're all in trouble. Best thing we could do, just stay with the shepherd. Follow him. When I was in Bible college, I had a professor named Stanton W. Richardson. He'd been through a lot of trials and dark times in his life. One of them was he'd had a benign uh, brain tumor removed. And I remember him teaching in class because it had happened just a year or so before that. And, you know, if you remember, I was this total Jesus freak that came to Christ, and so I had my white Jesus loves you jacket on. I'm in a Bible college with a bunch of kids, you know, from wherever. And I'm 19, 20 years old, and I'm sitting there front row because I was a front row guy in every class, front row in chapel. I, was front, I wanted to look at every drop of every ounce, every word possible. So here's Stanton W. Richardson talking to us, this old guy. Like, he must have been in his 60s, you know, like, <laughs> like I am now. But anyway... He's got these wearing glasses on. He's all bald, you know. And so I respect him a lot. He's been through a lot, and he knows so much about the Bible and about the Lord. I just can't believe it. And one day in the lecture, he stops, and he's like on a podium like this. I'll never forget it. And he leans over. He says, listen to me, students. Don't you ever, ever, ever deny in the dark what God showed you in the light. Whew. Everyone in class could tell that came out of a lot of pain. That came out of a lot of darkness. He's been there. And this old man's telling us, it's going to get dark sometime in your life. Guaranteed. Well, don't you forget what God showed you in the light. 
Keep following the shepherd. Easy to do in the light, but in the dark valley sometimes. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Follow. It's the word of God that's going to help you stay on track. Verse 5, prepare a table for you. They go up there, the shepherds do. They clean out the water. They get everything ready and prepare the place for them. And then he says this, look at verse 5. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. There's an anointing process a shepherd goes through because he gets flies in the, in the sheep. I told you about that earlier. Remember I said I was going to come back to it? This particular shepherd I was reading says, I have a mixture of sulfur and um, linseed oil. Doesn't sound good, does it? He says, but I spread that over the sheep's head and it keeps the flies away. Another one said he had tar and olive oil. Anything, whatever personal mixture, you could probably buy it at the store, you know, different mixtures you put on the sheep to keep the flies away because literally if they get up in their sinuses, they can get infections, they can literally die or cause the whole flock to go astray because they go nuts. They literally go out of their head. You don't want that to happen. He says, so you need to anoint them. Or nowadays they dip the sheep, all kinds of things you can do. Keep the flies away. What's bugging you? My little sheep. What's bugging you? What's got up into your sinuses? Who got up into your nose? What's bugging you? Is it a person? Is it a job? Is it money? Is it your church, your pastor? What's bugging you? According to this imagery used here in Psalm 23, all you need is some anointing. It, that, that bugging can leave you alone when you're anointed. Anointed means you give yourself over to the Lord's anointing. The only one that can really anoint the sheep are, is the shepherd. And if he anoints them, they'll be fine. The, the flies will stay away. You know what? The reason you're often bugged by stuff and bugged by people is because you're still trying to be your own shepherd. You've got to get under the anointing of God. Let God anoint you. Let the Holy Spirit come into you. Let Him help you forgive and forget and let go and not trust in your own understanding. Come on. That's what it means to follow the shepherd. You let Him anoint you. And then finally he ends with these words. You ready? Surely it's true that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow, what a promise. He's saying from this point forward, when you decide to humble yourself and let the shepherd be your, your guide, he says from that point forward, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And then even that, after that, he'll take you and you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever because you're one of his. I was reading a book. Uh, it's one of my favorite books ever written by the pastor, famous pastor John Piper. And he wrote this book called Future Grace. Do you all understand that grace is how you got saved? For by grace we are saved through faith, and not of ourselves, the gift of God, and as a result of works. Okay, because Jesus Christ gave his life for you. He died on the cross. He took your place. That's called God gave that to you. That's called grace, unmerited favor. You, you didn't do anything for it. He just gave it to you. Salvation is free, we say. Well, Piper's saying, yeah, but grace doesn't stop with the cross. Surely it's true that goodness and mercy will follow you. Oh, you mean I get more grace? 
Yeah, you get more grace. I get more grace? Yeah. And you get so much grace. He, he, he's going to give you unmerited favor now. He's going to give you unmerited merited favor then. And you'll go into eternity. You didn't deserve any of it. Unmer- wow. Future grace. So he says this. Let me just quote to you one, one section of this book. If we believe that our holdup at the long red light was God's keeping us from an accident about to happen, we'd be very patient and happy to wait, right? If we believe that our broken leg was God's way of revealing early cancer in the x-ray so that we would actually survive and not die from cancer, we would not murmur or feel inconvenienced at all, would we? If we believed that the middle-of-the-night phone call was actually God waking us up so we could smell smoke of something burning in the basement before the whole house burned down, of course we wouldn't be mad that we got woken up by the phone call. The key to patience is faith in the future grace of God and His glorious might to transform all our interruptions into actual rewards. It's believing what it says here in Psalm 23. Goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. You don't believe that, do you? If you did, would you be complaining about the weather? Would you be complaining about the stuff that you complain? Do you? You don't believe it. In other words, he says... The strength of patience hangs on our capacity to believe that God is up to something good for us. And all the delays and all the detours are simply God's way of leading us to where he wants us to be, home with him. Wow, it's true. Oh boy, I'm out of time but I have time for some passages. Here's what's very interesting. This imagery, he's the shepherd. I'm a sheep, he's the shepherd. You're just his sheep. This whole message is about you and the Lord. Guess what? You go into the New Testament. Jesus, the Apostle Paul, the writers. I don't have time to show you a lot of passages, but I'll give you a little sampling. They take this same imagery, and you know what they keep saying over and over again? It's a warning. They, go, they keep saying, watch out for the wolves because you're just a sheep. Listen to this. Ready? Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 reads like this. I'll read it to you. Matthew 7, verse 15 reads, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There's going to be wolves in sheep's clothing and it's going to be actual people. He says, you've got to be aware of that. Or look at this, Jesus again. Matthew chapter 10 says this, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. He goes, we don't have time to read, he goes on to say, don't worry, I'll show you what to say. Just stay close to me. I'm your shepherd. I'll lead you. He's saying that to the disciples because he knows that's what's coming. Okay, look at this one. 
Paul's talking to the Ephesian elders. Him and the Ephesian elders had a real close relationship. He had been in Ephesus because it was a key port town. He knew that church needed to be strong. And, and so he's been ministering to the elders and the whole church there for three years. That was a long time for Paul to stay somewhere. And he's about to leave, and he makes this speech. And then the, at the end, you'll, we won't read it, but they're all hugging and crying each other. You can just imagine this. He's going to leave. But look at what he says. Pay careful attention, verse 28. To yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseas. Be to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves there will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God, and listen to this, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He gives us a big key there. He says, I commit you to the shepherd, to God, and to what? His word. It's going to keep you safe. His word is his protection. His word is how you're not going to be deceived by the wolves. His word, he says, the word of grace. This is it right here. Finally, there's one more. It's in 1 Peter. Peter's telling the elders of the church. He says, 1 Peter 5, So I exhort the elders among you as, fellow elder, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the, in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God. So guys, this is, you gotta, you got to lead. The leaders need to lead, or the whole flock is in jeopardy. And how many times have we seen that happen, right? Pastors, elders, messing up, having an affair with somebody or something like that, and the whole flock, church goes down in flames. He says, well, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising your, your oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not dim, dim, uh, domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's what he's called, God and Jesus is the chief shepherd, appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clo now Lord says, clothe yourselves with all, all of you with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Right there, I save those words for last because that's the key to the whole thing. Proud people, proud Christians are not following the Lord. He says, clothe yourselves with humility toward everyone. Clothe yourself with humility toward the Lord. He says, because it's your only hope to recognize I'm just a sheep. He's the shepherd. One thing will get you to wander from the flock, your own pride. It'll it's, it's the devil's program for you. That's his, his, his map. That's where he's taking you. And he got you to drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> he got you to take the false teaching because of your own ego, your own pride. That's what a false teacher is. He's full of his own self, his own pride. If you want to make it to the end, like it says in, in this last, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, then it's going to take constant humbling myself before my shepherd and saying, okay, shepherd, lead me on, I follow. Let's pray.
Maybe something bugging you has bugged you so much you've wandered from the flock. Maybe you have become like a cast sheep running and running and going nowhere and now you realize it this morning. You need to come back to the shepherd. Maybe you've wandered off the path of righteousness. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, the whole the old hymn says. This morning, I'm asking you, I'm calling to you, come on back. Make the Lord your shepherd. This sermon's not about you and the church. It's not about you and, 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 and your own thoughts or what you feel. It's about literally getting honest with you and the Lord. Are you honestly following the shepherd? Or do you have your own little agenda? If you do, I'm warning you, the wolves are there, they're going to get you. Turn, turn to the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord. And ask him to be your shepherd. He'll work through the leaders of this church, through some mentors he'll bring into your life. Turn to the Lord. Let him be the shepherd of your life. If you've never done that, it's simple as saying, Lord, be my shepherd. I humble before you and lead me. If you've done it before and you've wandered off, please come back before you hurt yourself really bad and many, many others. Like my friend Scott, maybe you've wandered long enough and you're sick of your sin. You say, this is so wrong. I need to come back to the Lord. So, Lord, we come before you as a group of sheep. You are our shepherd. Thank you, thank you, thank you for creating us, for redeeming us, for calling to us, for caring for us. We now come to you in great humility, recognizing, Lord, we need you, and we ask you to be our shepherd. Say that to the Lord. Lord, I want you to be my shepherd for the rest of my days, and may goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell because of future grace in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next week.